Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Elyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you. Let's open it with a word of prayer and praise. Thank you, Lord, for bringing this book once again to the computer, to the hands, to the mind of Brian Borgman, and then to our church. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to show us that we do, we are made in your image, and we are relieved and blessed that not only do you have emotions, but you showed us the way to conform our emotions to your will and to exhibit godly emotions. We ask you to help us finish off this lesson today and to put these words to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, I can get the last two chapters in today. Because they're generally the working out of Borgman's take and good takes on application of this book in two areas. Let's start with chapter 20. The emotions and the word and prayer. You may recall last year when we discussed J.C. Ryle's practical religion. We commonly refer to means of grace and there are five means of grace. And two of them we talked about last year as being the types of activities you undertake if you are not faking that you're saved or a Christian. There's private prayer and Bible reading. Nobody goes home into their prayer closet trying to make an impression on nobody that's there. The same thing with Bible reading, right? Got to get in God's word or know when you haven't been in God's word and you have that conviction and you're at home and you break out your Bible and or you're overjoyed by the words you read. That doesn't happen when somebody's trying to make an impression on nobody that's around them. So chapter 20 is specifically about those two means of grace and how they develop joy to the full. Scott Haifman says nothing sustains hope like a serious and sustained study of scriptures. And then Borgman starts out the chapter with his own personal salvation testimony. I can't synthesize that myself. Some of it's very familiar to my life, but let's just listen to his words. I was raised in the Catholic Church. We were devout. In the late 70s, my mother came to Christ. She was the first. The method was simple. She was in a Christian bookstore with her sister where she picked up a Bible and randomly turned to Leviticus. 
Yes, Leviticus. She read some dietary laws, and the Holy Spirit put some sugar on it, and he hooked her. She started reading the Bible and came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. My dad came later. The method was simple. He was a truck driver for UPS and was listening to J. Vernon McGee through the Bible, radio hour. I personally have experience with that because that's when I got saved, I came across that daily broadcast and listened to it in my car when I was driving around. Anyway, Borgman says that his dad started bringing a Bible with him to read on his lunch hour and he came to know Christ. Borgman says, I was the holdout. I was an altar boy and a very proud son of Rome. We have that in common. Then I started reading the Bible. The Bible shook my world to its foundation. My mom recommended that I start reading in Matthew. Matthew 5.20 was a 10.0 on my personal Richter scale. Quote, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I was sunk and I knew it. Then God opened my eyes to see Jesus as my only hope. The method was simple. I read the Bible. After I was born again, nobody told me, you'd better read your Bible every day. It was intuitive. God's word was my life. I could no more live without reading my Bible than I could live without eating. The Bible is not only, is not only the instrument for new life, but it is our life. We have someone we know here in the church, and we, some of us understood that uh, when this person said that they weren't sure they were saved, one of the confessions they made, at least to me, was that they uh, didn't have a desire to be in God's word. And they were always afraid that somebody was going to ask them what their favorite Bible verse was. Let's talk about the word and godly emotions and the fullness of joy, let's say. A consistent life in the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer will generally cultivate joy and other godly emotions. The Bible was given to us to teach us, move us, and transform us. The Bible is a book that feeds our intellect. It also arouses our emotions and stimulates our imagination. Now, the Lord had spoken many things to his disciples. In John 13 to 17, he was giving his final discourse before his death. Then in John 13, he had given his disciples a model of service. He predicted his betrayal and commanded them to love one another. In John 14, he comforted them with some important words about prayer, obedience, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in 15, John 15, he then challenged them to abide in him and bear fruit. And then he capped it off with this verse. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. John 15, 11. The joy of Jesus is the joy of obeying and glorifying the Father and fulfilling his will. As Christ himself abides in us, the word abides in us. As his word abides in us, it keeps us focused on loving and living for Christ. There is no greater joy than that. This joy, Christ says, is mediated through his word. He gave us his word so that we could experience true joy, and here's some elements of that in the scriptures. And if you download 
the outlines available or even pick up the book, you will see the scripture references for these points. The Bible is our major source of joy in him. It revives our hearts so that we can rejoice in God. The word comforts us in affliction. It provides sustenance and hope in despair. The word brings strength in grief. It brings conviction of sin. The word also produces awe and godly fear. It also gives us God's promises so that we can rejoice in hope. All of those are emotional components. The Bible gives us the foundation of faith and the fountain of joy and godly emotions. The truth of God's word shapes our beliefs and values. And what do we say emotions express when we display them? They express what we value, what our truths are. That's where our emotions reflect. What about prayer and godly emotions? Well, prayer cultivates joy. This truth also comes straight from the words of Jesus. And Jesus gave us prayer in his name so that our joy may be full. John 16, 24, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. The qualification is that we need to pray in Jesus' name. Now, in Jesus' name is not some magical formula we throw on in the end of our prayers. I've known plenty of people who pray that do not say, in Jesus' name, or those who do. The idea is to pray in Jesus' name is to consciously approach the Father through the only mediator between God and man. When I was first saved and then I was a Christian for a while and going to a Bible-believing church, it dawned on me as a former Catholic that this made complete sense because this is one of those things that fell into place. Jesus on the cross, back in the churches I grew up in, did all that for me so that I could approach the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord God, his Father, through the Virgin Mary, through Joseph, through St. Anthony because I lost my car keys. No. One mediator between God and man. And I'm like, that's right. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are saying, quote, Father, I have no right to come to you or be in your presence. I am unworthy, but because of your Son... His work on my behalf and my union with him by faith, I gladly and boldly come to you. Uh, this joy has another side. As we pray to the Father through the Son and in the Holy Spirit, there is communion that brings us true joy. Real quick about communion. We keep going back to J.C. Ryle's book, Practical Religion. We had that chapter called Communion. When you're first saved, you have union. God calls you into union with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Communion is the maturity of your walk as he sanctifies you. Communion. You don't know the means of grace at that point. You start increasing your faith and taking part of the means of grace. Your communion, your brotherhood with Jesus Christ grows. And that is also the growth of godly emotions. 
There may be other emotions fanned into flame as we pray and are aware of God's presence. We should be filled with awe over his majesty. We should be filled with reverent fear because of his holiness. We tremble with unspeakable joy knowing that we are not only safe in the Father's presence because of Christ, we are also welcomed into the Father's presence because of Christ. That's, sometimes that blows your mind. It should. Safe and then welcome. Prayer not only reflects but also shapes our values and beliefs. As we enter into prayer, our hearts are being shaped by God-centered goals and Christ-exalting values. The Holy Spirit takes those moments to cultivate more godly emotions in us. Prayer expresses, excites, and increases godly emotions. Now there's a section in this chapter called Revived Joy in Retirement. But it goes back to the opening testimony of Borgman and his parents. As we said, Borgman's parents came to Christ before he did. And they were involved in a local church for many years, but then they hit a, what Borgman called a dry spell. And the drought lasted quite a while. They always knew what they needed to do, but as often is the case, the desires were too weak to motivate action. On the occasion of his parents' anniversary, he bought them a devotional book for couples. And these are the words of Borgman. One morning, the phone rang. It was my dad. Hey, your mom and I have been reading that book you bought us for our anniversary. We really like it. They have some pretty important things to say. A few days later, the phone rang again. Brian, you need to know the Lord is really at work in our lives. We are not only reading the devotional, but we are praying together. Mom wants us to start reading the Bible together, too. A few days later, my mom called. We are really enjoying reading God's word and the book. God is really doing something in us. We are going to church this Sunday. His parents' joy in the Lord was revived. Every morning they read the word and prayed. They rediscovered not only the reviving power of the word, but also the emotional realigning power of the word and prayer. Emotional realigning. Pastor has been talking about this. It's hard not to be pulled with your emotions toward what you read today. Jesus has given us his word and prayer for the fullness of joy in him. <clears throat> Borgman concludes this chapter by saying, As of this draft, my mom has since been diagnosed with a brain tumor. Her faith and joy sustained by the word and prayer have continued to grow. She thanks God for this affliction because it has brought her closer to him. Now we segue to chapter 21. And the chapter title is very curious. The Emotions and Reading, Meditation and Imagination. A quote from our friend John Piper. Christian biography is the means by which the body life of the church cuts across the centuries. God gave us a book as his self-revelation. He didn't give us a movie or a blog post. And I'd say, well, they only had books back then, Brian. But the point was, he expects us to read or he would not have given us a book. 
great words for those librarians in the crowd. So he starts out with a section called God Expects Us to Read. Revolutions have started from reading. The Reformation didn't just promote reading. Reading started and fueled it. When oppressors or tyrants want to squash freedom, they burn books and then authors. There is something wondrous about reading. Now he gets into a section here I call a critique of fiction. And I'll remember when I was reading this chapter that my pastor Armin, the man who wrote that book, transformed into his likeness. We've talked about that before. I'll never forget, well, he and I had a conversation and he essentially said, I don't know how we got on the topic, but he says, I I've got no room, I can't waste my time on reading fiction. I just don't. I never thought of it. And my reading habits tend to go more toward biographies and historical writings. But Borgman expounds on this. Theologian R.L. Dabney argued that habitual reading of fiction, which arouses emotions such as sympathy, ends up dulling, even deadening, our ability to truly feel. The reason is that the feelings that are aroused are detached from reality. Those aren't real things that you're reading about. He went on to argue that such emotional engagement needs the grounding of reality if it is to be useful for our mental development and character. If the engagement of the emotions detached from reality can deaden us, then the corollary must be true. There can be reading that engages the feelings, is rooted in truth and reality, and helps us develop our minds, character, and emotions. This kind of reading focuses on content and utilizes both meditation and imagination. To cultivate godly emotions, we must read our Bibles and good Christian books, says Borgman, especially biographies with our hearts and imaginations. The result will be a stirring of our hearts and spiritual growth and maybe even greater missionary effort and revival. Now he writes a subsection called The Case for Christian Biography, and I totally agree with this. Some of the best books I've read, in fact, my, one of my favorite books is the biography of um, uh, Hudson, the missionary to China. It is important that Christians read not only their Bibles, but also good Christian books. Borgman is an advocate of regularly, regularly reading Christian biography. He says, as a new Christian, I could not get enough of D.L. Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Jim Elliott, Adoniram Judson, John Calvin, George Whitefield, Jonathan Edwards, and others. Now here's a biblical basis for reading Christian biography. Hebrews 11. Think about it as a collection of short biographies designed to motivate faith and endurance. Hmm. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, reminds us of the great cloud of witnesses who surround us while we run the race. Each one of those witnesses lived a life worthy of emulation, and now they serve as motivation. That is the purpose of Christian biography. Hebrews 13, 7. <clears throat> Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. 
Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. The Bible not only contains biography, but it also exhorts us to study the works of God. Psalm 77, verses 11 through 12. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. The works of God are displayed not only for the glories of creation, but in the lives of his people. The men and women whose lives have been recorded for us in biography are the works of God's hands. What about the meditation and imagination part? Well, there's a persistent call in the scriptures to meditate on God's word and works. You'll know these scriptures, right? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, for you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua 1.8. And then Psalm 1, 1 through 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates... Day and night. Biblical meditation is far from the Eastern notion of the art of self-emptying. Biblical meditation is filling up the mind with truth, turning it over, thinking it through, reciting it, and reflecting upon it, refocusing on God's works as well as his words. Part of meditation and reflection is the use of imagination. I'm referring to the God-given ability to think in images and create scenes in our minds. A sanctified use of our imagination brings color and vividness to our meditations. God wants us to engage with his word emotionally and experientially. We do that through the imagination. Now here's the connection between meditation and the emotions. In Psalm 39, David wanted to walk carefully, not sinning with his tongue. Remember that? He pondered the issue. He mused. He turned it over and over, and this was the result. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. The key is the fire that burned when David mused, pondered, and meditated. There's a direct connection between meditation and a burning in our hearts, an emotional stirring. I'm thinking you did the same thing I'm doing right now. You thought about that one verse. It's coming. That connection may be negative, dwelling on a hurt or a disappointment, and then being fired up with anger or bitterness. But the connection can also be positive, dwelling on truth, God, his word, his works, and getting fired up with holy emotions. As we meditate, the fire burns. Now, a major theme in this book is that God's word comes to us to inform us intellectually and also to shape and stir us emotionally. That's what this book's been about. We've learned about God and his emotions. We learned about man and the anthropology of our emotions. We've learned about how to mortify ungodly emotions, and now we're cultivating godly emotions. When we read the Bible, we need to enter prayerfully into the story. We need to use sanctified imagination, according to 1 Corinthians 4, 6, not going beyond what is written. When we read Christian biography, we need to transport ourselves in time, remembering the reality of the events and reliving them as we read. 
much like we do when we hear sermons or when people visit Israel. Engaging the heart while we read scripture can draw us in and change us. Spending time going over the words, rehearsing the scenes, and hearing the words can cause our hearts to burn with holy emotions. And here is Luke 24, 32. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Well, in conclusion, with Jesus Christ as our perfect model, we can rely on the Spirit and the Word to transform us into his image. Our Father has provided for us all we need for the cultivation process. The Word, prayer, worship, Bible, biblical preaching, Christian relationships, the church, present, past, and good books. As we use our Father's provisions with their proper designs, we will find our godly emotions growing to God's glory. Now, at the end of chapter 21, there is a small paragraph called Wrapping It Up, and these are directly from Borgman. I'm a pastor who loves theology. I am thankful to God that in his kind providence he directed me to such teachers as John Piper, Jonathan Edwards, John Owen, J.I. Packer, and Martin Lloyd-Jones, to name a few, who have been used by God to weld together truth and passion doctrine and devotion, theology and doxology, and faith and feelings in my heart. This has shaped my ministry. I believe that God has used the welding together of these realities to produce a healthy, not perfect church. I don't know why our theological stream has diluted what our forefathers seemed to see clearly, but may God restore us to May, may, may God restore to us the beauty of our emotions to his intense praise and enjoyment. Well, Lord, uh, once again, this book has blessed us in the hearing. And it is not the Bible, but it's not even a Christian biography. It's, a, in a sense, a Borgman's biography. As he started out, not being a person that would waste any time with emotions and not thinking it was a biblical topic. He began his study and you, your Holy Spirit, enlightened him and gave us this wonderful tool. Thank you for this tool over the past several months. We ask that you continue to bring it to our minds as we find ourselves in situations which move the emotions and we can ask ourselves, do they conform to your word and can we be confident of expressing what you would express in this situation? We thank you in Jesus' name. Hi there, this is Austin Hetzler, the pastor of Christ the Rock Church of Illyria, Ohio. We at Christ the Rock are humbled and grateful to be a part of your sanctification today as you listen to this sermon. But at the same time, we want to encourage you to be a member of a good local church and not to allow online sermons to replace the local church and to benefit from the life of that church and to give your spiritual gifts back to that church. Having said that, our website is www.christrockchurch.com. If you go there, you can find sermons, blogs, and other resources as well as our location and service times. You can also listen to the sermons on Bible Thumping Wingnut, Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. 
I, along with the membership of Christ the Rock Church, pray that this sermon will be a blessing to you.